What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Crush, Friday interview edition. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here in the home studio, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. And today, everybody, I had the wonderfully talented, super, super nice guy, uh, Taryn Killam. And and he, uh, you know Taryn, he's been around. Uh, you probably know him best uh, with his uh, semi-recent work on Saturday Night Live. He was a cast member for six full seasons and really made his name there uh, as an as an actor and a and a great uh, impersonator and a comedian. But uh, Taryn has been around the block, especially after talking to him. He, he started acting when he was a kid and he was in plays and musicals. He's a song and dance man. Uh, he's been in lots of great movies and films and, and done some great voice work. Uh, right now he is uh, in the upcoming film Night School uh, opposite Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish, which is quite a cast that uh, comes out next Friday, September 28th. Uh, it's about a group of misfits forced to attend adult school uh, classes to try and pass their GED. So a uh, very funny setup there. And additionally, he's a very busy guy. Uh, he can be seen in the upcoming uh, TV comedy series, uh, Single Parents on ABC, which debuts September 26th. So next week is a, is a big week for Mr. Killam. So support all his efforts. It's uh, all good stuff. Night School looks really, really funny. And we talked about a little movie today called Star Wars. In addition to his career and Saturday Night Live, we we dissect uh, the very first Star Wars movie, uh, Episode 4, A New Hope, is how, what it's called now. 
But to me, when you say Star Wars, that's the one you're talking about. 1977, the classic, classic first film in the franchise. Uh, I think I was a little nervous to talk about this movie, believe it or not. I don't think I realized it at the time, but uh, I was slightly nervous. And I think it's because I was tackling this movie that's so important to so many people. So I hope we did it justice. And uh, we, did, we didn't break it down scene by scene or even kind of go through it in a linear fashion. We really just sort of talked about the bigger concepts and what the film means to us. Uh, and we had a good time. So here we go, everyone, with the wonderful Taron Killam on Star Wars. Yeah, so anyway, I feel like uh, I kind of secretly wanted a daughter because I feel like the father-daughter relationship is, uh, for me at least, seems to come with more goodness and less baggage. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. Not as many Cats in the Cradle songs yeah. written about father-daughter. You get butterfly kisses <laughs> for father-daughters, <laughs> and you get Cats in the Cradle for son, father-sons. That's good Good stuff. So are you, are you kind of traveling around doing uh, press right now? Yeah, I just I flew in last night, um, landed here in New York at about midnight, mm-hmm. and then uh, have been going since since eight a.m. Were you at the Emmys? I did not attend the Emmys. I was working that day on uh, on my new show, Single Parents, uh-huh. on ABC Wednesdays nine thirty eight thirty Central for me the twenty sixth. Yeah, no, we were shooting, so I didn't I didn't attend, and I just I watched clips on my personal cellular device awesome uh well where are you from originally i am from southern california from los angeles i was born in culver city oh wow yeah and then we lived in the south bay which is sort of manhattan redondo beach Uh area and then moved to big bear when i was nearly seven oh wow did most of my growing up there yeah people grow up in big bear uh, close to 30,000 uh, <laughs> annually, yeah. Oh, so lovely up there. That's great. Mm-hmm. Where are you from? Uh, well, I'm from Atlanta. Um, okay, I, cool. I, I kind of lived around for a bit, including Los Angeles for a while, but uh, made my way back here about 15, 12, 13 years ago. Okay. And have been back here since. And now, you know, Atlanta sort of exploded, as you know, with, with film Hollywood and television. East. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or Yollywood, as they call it around here. Oh, cool. I like that. Yeah. We didn't hear that. We stayed, um, oh God, what was the hotel? Wherever we stayed was where they put actors up just because the lobby bar at one point had, you know, uh, Michael Kenneth Williams, who was not in our show Uh and Bill Murray and his brother, (laughs) Brian Doyle were there for golf tournament and were holding court. It was a very, very exciting lobby. I need to find out where that lobby is because uh, it's tough to, despite the fact that we're swimming in uh, celebrities now, it's tough to get them in here in the studio. To find the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do do I, is it Lowe's? Is that right? I don't, maybe. I don't, maybe. And I'm sure just me Could hanging be. out there is all it takes. Yeah, just wander. <laughs> That's how it works, Just right? wander and just hit him up. Yeah. So, Easy breezy. Uh, you, you know, it's sort of a, not rare, but uh, don't often talk to a lot of people that are native to Los Angeles in that area. Uh, yes. Were you, were your, were your parents in the business? Um, sort of, uh, sort of, yes. My dad in his late teens, early 20s was an aspiring actor and um, booked a few gigs. I think he was on an episode of Love America Style. Oh, that's great. Uh, and was on a short-lived James Garner series called Nichols. Uh-huh. 
and then gave that up and started to kind of kind of recreationally pursue a career in music. My mother did have a career in music. She's a singer, songwriter, and she uh, toured with Charlie Daniels as a backup singer for him. Wow. And yeah. And then uh, then they met as out of work actor musicians at a restaurant and fell in love and 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 made some kids. I may have actually um, seen your mom perform uh I, I when I was younger. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, I was I was sort of raised uh heavily influenced by my Southern Baptist church friends growing up until I uh, got a little bit older and and left them all behind. Uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I did see Charlie Daniels, the Charlie Daniels band in concert in probably the the mid eighties. It maybe would have been she I think she was late seventies. Okay. Yeah. I might have just missed her then. <laughs> I'm just missed her, but Oh, that's great though. So you uh as far as like I talked to a lot of people in here that some of them have a clue that they want to get into the uh to the film industry. Um and some people like myself grow up and you don't even know that that's a job that you can have. Yeah. So did you right. fall somewhere in the middle or uh, I think, I think pretty early on I had a consciousness of it. My mom's, uh, aunt, aunt, her mother's sister married Robert Stack. Oh yeah. Of, of the untouchables fame mm-hmm. and unsolved mysteries and airplane and, uh, much to the delight of a 12, 13 year old Terran right. Beavis and Butthead do America. Right. Um, so she was business-ish savvy. She, you know, knew of it as a possible career path. And she took me and my younger brother and sister to, like, uh, a commercial agent and just said, hey, here are my kids. They're, they're pretty precocious and cute. And my little brother and sister very quickly had no interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but I could kind of hang in a room of adult strangers and just hold court comfortably. Yeah. Um, so I started auditioning about, at about five or six years old. Oh, wow. And didn't really book anything, um, for a while. And then when we moved to Big Bear, kind of stopped. But then, then they shot this weird camp movie up in Big Bear called A Pig's Tale. Uh Uh-huh. And they needed, they needed local background actors and through that somehow reconnected with an agency in Los Angeles. And so around nine or 10, I started auditioning again, sort of like every other month we'd come down for a couple of days, come down to Los Angeles and got a few jobs there, a couple like non-union commercials. And then, uh, uh, had a guest got a guest spot as as a recreation actor in an episode of unsolved mysteries oh wow how about that? how'd that happen <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. i did i went into the room and i said to the people i was auditioning for you know my uncle is robert stack <laughs> and they all kind of chuckled They're like yeah yeah no we know right do you think that'll help you <laughs> and i said couldn't hurt and they all laughed and cast They you. all laughed, and then <laughs> Uncle Bob got on the phone. Hire him. Um, so that, that between that and like a small part in Naked Gun 33 and a third, uh-huh. that's how I became SAG, SAG eligible or became a member of the, of the Screen Actors Guild. Interesting. And, um, yeah. W- and then sort of stopped 
again uh-huh. through middle school. I wonder if the uh, Big Bear um, film shoot hadn't happened. I mean, do you think that literally kind of changed the course of your life? A hundred. I I have. I feel like I have so many sliding doors mm-hmm. moments. Um, yes, without a doubt, without a doubt. I I often wonder if these big monumental maybe didn't maybe didn't feel so at the time, but these big sort of paths crossing moments in my life hadn't occurred, um, where would I be? But I'm sure that's true for all of us, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would say to a certain degree. I mean, uh, I, I guess you could have, uh, easily been a ski instructor. <laughs> yeah. 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 In Big Bear. Had some buddies who were sponsored snowboarders. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Get a deal with Sims or Burton and yeah. shred, shred some powder. Are you, are you into that or were you? I love snowboarding. I was never uh, nearly good enough to snowboard professionally, but uh, but but love doing it recreationally. My mom, went, when we moved up there, got a job working at the slope so we could we could ski and snowboard for free. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, were you performing in high school? I know that you uh, and maybe come to the surprise of some people that don't know your work in Hamilton are a bit of a song and dance man. This is correct. Yeah, <laughs> a Big Bear was a lot of musicals, a lot of school plays. Um, and then when I was 15, I auditioned for LOXA, which is the LA County High School for the Arts. Mm-hmm. And I got in. Um, and that's another very big sort of sliding doors moment for me because Big Bear High School was on a, a year round schedule, meaning they had like a small summer break and a longer winter break. And you kind of were in class all year round. Uh, and then LOXA was more traditional. So the I I just know this to be true in my heart that a big reason for choosing to go to Loxa because my parents said it's sort of up to you you got this cool opportunity you could go to this school and get an arts education and uh, kind of focus on your passion or you could go back to school but if you go to Big Bear you got to go next week and if you want to go to Loxa you still have another month of summer ah. and I was like Loxa <laughs> I want to go Loxa I love acting. Now, so that was in L.A. proper. Did you, uh, where did you live there? Did the family uproot? Eventually, yeah. For my junior year, they did. For my sophomore year, uh, my father's mother lives in Long Beach. So Nanny would drive me to and from school, and I'd stay with her midweek, and then my dad and I would drive back up to Big Bear for the weekends. Well, that's really awesome. That's cool that the family, I guess they... They saw enough promise to uh, sort of invest in your future like that. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, what about training? Did you, when you got to LA, did you start to take things a bit more seriously uh, like that, or? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the education at Loxa is is absolutely phenomenal, and I was being taught philosophies and techniques and 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 developing a process without even really knowing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I started going when I was fifteen and. There are other priorities in the mind and body of a 15-year-old boy. Um, <laughs> but certainly upon reflection, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for for all the training I received at LOXA. And then in my senior year, started getting back into uh, auditioning professionally and and kind of began booking jobs on a regular basis. Right. That's awesome. What about movies in your family? Was it a... Uh, was it sort of a, a big deal as far as watching movies together, going to the movies? How did that figure in? Absolutely. No, huge, huge part of it. Um, you know, part of whenever we gather, 
a big part of the conversation is what have you seen recently mm-hmm. and what'd you think of this film or that film and um lots of movie watching lots of tv watching my mother was a big big is a big bill murray fan yeah um she also loves you know classic black and white movies and so uh bringing up baby and then all the thin men movies were like those were go-tos in our house um and are still sort of comfort films for me to this day yeah that's great uh yeah, I had sort of, uh, I've talked about it before, but my family, um, it was weird that they weren't super, my parents at least weren't super into like pop culture. So okay. uh, lucky enough, I had an older brother who sort of ushered me into things and movies and TV, you know, were a big part of uh, our life growing up as kids for sure. Um, yeah. And I have a, I have an older sister, Rachel, uh-huh. who's incredibly re- uh, influential and, and responsible for sort of my knowledge uh in terms of of all things comedy right she was always much hipper and cooler than i was and and knew about knew and watched saturday night live before i really could kind of conceive of what it was yeah was a big kids in the hall fan um yeah so i i owe a lot of my a lot of my comedy credibility to her what what are the uh age differences between the siblings there um Rachel, so there's Aaron, who's 10 years older than me, uh-huh. then there's Rachel, and then uh, we have a different f- biological father, uh-huh. but we all lived in the same house my my whole life. Um, and then Danny, uh, my little sister, is two years younger than me, and then Taylor is two years younger than her. Now, did anyone else get into performing? Uh, my sister Rachel still does uh, music. She lives up in San Jose. Um, and she does comedy and music up there. Uh, my little brother Taylor, uh, is a really talented musician and will still occasionally play music. He, he toured around for several years. He would go and sort of do, uh, the pop-up stage at the Warp Tour. Mm -hmm. He did that for four or five years in a row and their band, Allura, had, had, had a pretty good following. Um, and then Danny, uh, she, she sort of went down the path of fashion and, and then fashion design and then curating and preservation and now works at the Skirball Center, uh, in Los Angeles. Oh, cool. And then, uh, my sister Erin, uh, works for an electrical company. She's sort of got, she's sort of the, the most blue collar <laughs> of the family, which, uh, is silly to say, because if you met her, she's, she's quite lovely and fun and, um, uh, the biggest heart of anybody I know, but yeah, she kind of has the most traditional job out right. of all of us. That's awesome. Big family, huh? Yeah. Must, yeah. must've been a lot of fun, uh, to sit around. I liked it. Yeah. I liked it. I, I wish I, I like, I thought I wanted a big family and then, <laughs> and then kids are a lot of work. Yeah, sure. Two is, two is good though. Two feels right. Maintain the, you know, the, global population (laughs) you're doing your part don't add to the surplus you know what i mean (laughs) yeah exactly um it's for the environment (laughs) so uh, with saturday night live that's a show that i grew up um watching uh early on not allowed to watch technically Uh, i see uh, yes but i was i was sneaking it from from the earliest days that i can remember and i'm i'm (laughs) in my mid uh to late 40s now so i was as a kid, just watching, you know, the Coneheads and things like this, I didn't even fully understand and really grew up with that show as a touchstone. And I've only had one other cast member uh, on this show. I had Casey Wilson on. 
uh, recently. Awesome. And she talked a bit about it, but I'm, I'm just kind of curious your your experience with SNL as far as wanting to be on it and what that meant to you and then sort of when it was time to go. Yeah. Um, I definitely was always, uh, you know, pretty aware of it for most of my life. My parents watched and my sister Rachel, as I said, was a really big fan of it. Um, and I loved watching The Best of Eddie Murphy oh, sure. on VHS. Yeah. I would watch that on repeat. Um, and then, yeah, movies like Wayne's World and Tommy Boy and and that those are sort of the first memories of me going like, oh, this is something that I'm a fan of and that I'll seek out. Mm -hmm. And then certainly by the time Farrell and Shannon and O'Terry and Catan were on the show, uh, I was watching pretty, pretty regularly. Um, but uh, honestly, even even though I was, you know, a young actor or attempting to be a young professional, the idea of being on Saturday Night Live was more lofty and more fantastical than being on any other TV show or being in movies or that for whatever reason, right. that felt more, that felt more, um, achievable. And then when I was 19, um, and a freshman at UCLA, I got an audition for Mad TV and was always really funny and a really good mimic. So I used those skills to kind of build a, an audition for them mm -hmm. and it just kind of worked and I kept going in and I probably auditioned and ended up auditioning like seven, eight times and got it. And suddenly I was a comedian and not an actor anymore. Right. And, and not studying musical theater at UCLA anymore. Um, and so that was, that was fascinating and exciting and, and unbelievable because I really liked Mad TV too because I was always a huge comedy fan Jim Carrey was my idol growing up. Um, but for whatever reason, it wasn't the first pursuit for me. Right. Um, and then when Mad TV happened... How old were you then? 19. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It was crazy. It's crazy now, for sure. Back then, it just felt like, well, yeah, this is just... Right. This is how it my works. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the people who uh, I worked with at Mad TV, a, a good majority, had come from the Groundlings Theater mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, which is a, uh, an improv and sketch-based theater in West Hollywood. And uh, and when I left the show, I, you know, before Mad TV, I'd never taken an improv class. I'd never done any stand-up. I'd never written a sketch on my own. So I started taking classes at Groundlings um, just because I thought, oh, this is something I like to do and see me obviously something that people think I I'm good at. So mm -hmm. I'd really like to get, get some proper training. And once that started, SNL quickly became the bullseye. Right. Well, and, uh, what, uh, uh, how, how nerve wracking, uh, I've talked a bit about the audition process, but, uh, yeah. I'm sure that's, I've heard it's just a, a miserable and, and frightening <laughs> experience overall. It can be, yeah. It it is definitely the most difficult audition, I think, in film or television. Amazing. Just because any almost any other audition, you will be given material. Mm-hmm. And this is this is an audition that usually is for your dream job. Mm -hmm. Usually if you've if you've been asked by SNL to audition, you know, 
92% of the time, that's what you've been waiting for. That's, right. that's, that's been the dream. You get to visit the space. You audition at home base where the, where, you know, the host does the monologue and where Weekend Update Desk sits. So you're in this, like, sacred, yeah. hallowed, familiar, like, just incre- incredible space. It, like, like truly feel felt like a church first walking in. And then it's totally empty. There's only a spotlight on you. And there's a folding table with... Lorne, the head writers, and maybe a few other producers. Wow. And it's just, okay, be funny in five minutes. I, I cannot imagine anything more intimidating. It's crazy. It is. It's, it is the, a very intimidating space because w- what you don't realize at the time, it, it certainly feels intimidating at the time, but then, like, I definitely was like, oh, man, that's so unfair because once you're doing the show... It's a much friendlier environment. Right. It's like it's filled with 300 people who couldn't be happier to be there. Uh-huh. An entire crew who's you've been working with all week who's rooting for you. Writers running to and fro produce, you know, it's so lively. It's so active. And and yeah, it just feels like, you know, it's your execution or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's very it's just a very solemn atmosphere. Yeah. And, and it's your chance to, yeah, make your dream come true. Right. So, so but, but, uh, now I'll also say, I always knew, once I started taking classes at the Groundlings and was enjoying that and sort of moving my way up through the ranks, I always knew that if I had the shot to audition for SNL, I would have a good chance uh, of being cast, of being hired. Uh-huh. Um, but obviously nothing ever guaranteed. So when Lorne and, and the writers came to see the show at Groundlings, I was in the Sunday show at, at the time. Just the fact that that opportunity uh, came to fruition, just materialized, felt like such a victory. For whatever reason, the, f- for the first time I auditioned for SNL, and I auditioned three times ultimately on the stage, um, the first time felt like a victory no matter what the end result right so and there was like a group of us that went out there were four of us that went out and we rented a limousine (laughs) and i made a mix cd of all new york (laughs) themed songs and we rode in through you know through midtown tunnel Uh blaring frank sinatra's new york new york (laughs) with the top down and and it's very exciting too right it's a really and and you just get to be in the building you get to be in the space and these are all really wonderful, precious, uh, 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 kind of perfect memories because, you know, it's, it's your first time and it's so exciting. And then after my first audition, like two weeks later, they said, we like him. We want him to audition again, all new material. Right. And that was a challenge. And also suddenly it became real. Suddenly it was like, oh, now it's a real possibility. It's not just, you made it. You, you know, you, you were good enough to be considered. Now it's like, no, but you're really being considered. Right. Um, and so I did my best and I think my audition was fine, but I know from, for myself, I definitely was the most rattled of the three auditions in that second one. And I didn't get it that year. They said, uh, they said it's, it's no this year, but it's not never. Mm-hmm. And I sort of took that with a grain of salt. And then a year later, uh, true to their word out of the blue, they called up. They hadn't seen me again. They just said, hey, we're going to fly back, fly Taryn back out for, for another round of auditions. 
and uh, and I and I got it, and I was ready that time. You know, right. I, was, I I had a year to consider the possibility to write material towards that space, mm-hmm. that environment, and uh, and it worked. Wow, that's amazing! I, I just I can't believe that Lorne Michaels still goes to the Groundlings Theater and probably UCB and just scouts talent. Yeah, yeah, he's there. I imagine the buzz in the room is pretty intense. Oh yeah, I somebody wrote on the white. Uh, you know, we have like a dry erase. Uh-huh. Uh, board and someone wrote by the way Lauren Michaels was in the audience <laughs> and the dry erase board at a sketch theater is more often than not used for dumb bitch sure. uh, so I, I genuinely laughed it off I was like ha ha uh, but uh, but yeah then then when they said no 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 really the backstage had never been so quiet right <laughs> oh god uh, so I mean you had a nice long run on SNL for six or seven years Six, yeah. So when, uh, I know it's different for everyone, um, when do you know that, like, the I've had enough fun and I feel like I've done what I can do here and I want to start doing other things? Yeah, I, I, um, I think you're right. I think it is different for everyone. Um, for me, it just became more about quality of life than, than artistic fulfillment. Yeah, it's a grind. Um, it is. It's just, it's a young person's game. Mm-hmm. I was one of maybe, like, on uh, on the cast and writing staff, one of three people with children. Right. Um, and for the first four years I was on the show, I was flying back and forth between L.A. and New York. Oh, man. Um, and then when my family moved out here, it was wonderful to be closer to them, to see them more, but then also kind of a reminder of, like, the life I wanted to get back to. Right. You know what I mean? You're, yeah. When you're out here by yourself, you're more willing to like hang late or go get drinks or, or push that writing appointment to 4am. No big deal. Um, and, and I just, and I just couldn't, that, that stamina faded pretty quickly for me in, yeah. in probably my fifth or sixth season. Um, so I was, I was ready for just a, just a quality of life change. Um, and I, I sort of let that be known. And, uh, and then going into the, you know, you sign for seven. So the hiatus between my sixth and seventh season, I was directing a movie that I wrote, um, and, and SNL called and, and, you know, not directly, but through representation was like, yeah, we need a couple weeks to figure out what we're going to do with the cast. And there, it just felt like odd negotiation stuff. And they were asking for an extension to decide who to keep. Right. And I just said, you know what, I, I, that I, no, I'm going to say no to the extension just because I've got one more in me if you want to have me and, and that'd be great. And I'd love to do sort of, you know, one final hurrah knowing it's my last season right. and, 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 and say goodbye and say, I love you to all the people uh, that I got to work with. But, um, I, if, if you're not sure then I'm sure that I'm okay to be done, um, and then, and then there was back and forth of just like other opportunities that had been offered to me and, and my representation saying, well, how about we give them the extension and they clear this stuff for us and all, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And I said, sure, sure, sure. Okay, fine. Um, and then, you know, gave, granted this two week extension. And then I think it was like three, four weeks later, uh, again, through, through my reps called and said, okay, they've decided to, to not pick up your contract and i was like okay great <laughs> i imagine that's okay, a lot of mixed emotions though i mean to be ready to move yes. on and i mean it's such a family thing and you're a part of this family forever which is great 
but it also must feel like, well, now I'm sort of free to, you know, the world is my oyster at this point. The overwhelming feeling that I remember at the time hearing that was relief. Yeah. Of like, okay, thank goodness. Okay, we can figure stuff out. Uh-huh. And then, and then there's definitely sadness and hurt um, without, without sort of, it is such a personal environment. It is such an emotionally charged environment. Mm-hmm. And there can be this energy of like, it's us versus the world and, and we're part of this fraternity. So to have it end as a business, you know, to have it end as a job, which it absolutely was. Yeah. Um, there's disappointment in that. Sure. But. I was also very, very excited to move back to LA, mm-hmm. close to my family, um, close to my wife, closer to my wife's family. She's from the west coast of Canada, and uh, and yeah, and just and just kind of figure out figure out the next thing. Well, I mean, you've certainly been busy since then. Um, TV, movies, writing and directing, um, a, a little show called Hamilton as well. <laughs> a little Broadway in there, yeah. That was nice. That was nice. The the, the unfortunate thing of the timing of of uh being let go from snl was uh we're already locked into the school system you know right. having kids so like they let us know so late that we weren't able to move to la right away um and then the greatest silver lining of all time was that i got to do uh hamilton for three months oh, man. on broadway that's great i had uh david Diggs in here um oh cool a few months ago what a what an awesome guy yeah he was he was very very cool Made it very easy on me. Um, yeah, yeah. So what do, you, what do you got going on now? I know you've got movies, TV, and everything uh, coming out very soon. Yeah, yeah. I am right now doing the rounds talking about um, a movie coming out called Night School. It comes out September 28th, starring Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish and myself. And we filmed it in Atlanta, uh-huh. in your hometown. And that was really, really fun. That's a great cast. Um, it's, oh, and, and, and it only gets better. It's, uh, Rob Riggle and Romney Malko and Mary Lynn Rice Cub and Al Madrigal. Oh, wow. And Annie Winters. It's a, it's just, we just had so much fun. We, it, we, it's not fair that we got paid <laughs> to do that movie. Um, because it, it just really was such a blast hanging out at the, the Lowe's lobby bar. Right. <laughs> grooming, grooming ground for... Yollywood, you said? What is it? Yeah, oh, I've seen Yollywood t-shirts. Yollywood, yeah. love it. Um, but no, it's so fun. The movie turned out great, and uh, and I, I think people really enjoy that. And I'm also promoting a new TV show on ABC called Single Parents, uh-huh. uh, which is a really funny, sweet show that uh, is on after Modern Family. And it's me and Leighton Meester and Brad Garrett, Kimry Lewis and Jake Choi. Um, and, and I'm... Five episodes in, I fly back tonight and go back to work tomorrow morning. Oh, that's good. And, so you uh, shoot that at home? Yeah, that's in L.A. Yeah, yeah. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. 
Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Well, that's awesome. I guess we should get into Star Wars. Um, Bring it on. <laughs> it was very sweet when you uh, when I was probing for the uh, for for your film pick uh, and your movie crush. I know that you you said, well, honestly, it's Star Wars, but like, can we talk about Star Wars? Yeah, I know. And uh, you must you must be Star Wars <laughs> out a little bit. No, we no no okay, one. Great. You're you're the first. Oh, you're kidding. No, I'm a genius. So. Uh, I was like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. I, oh, I, I don't know um, what we can add to the conversation, but I'm I'm willing to jump in there with you. <laughs> yeah. To me, to me, it's just by far the most influential storytelling experience I've ever had in my whole life. And specifically the first one, Star Wars, or as it was retroactively titled, A New Hope. Yeah. Um, I just, it it is just... Um, I died in the wool fan, like the toys before I knew what they even were. Uh, and to me, Star Wars, if you're talking about storytelling, if you're talking about, um, you know, a journey, uh, a transformation, a metamorphosis, which I think, you know, most good stories need to have. It's just, it's just ultimate wish fulfillment. And I personally enjoy movies and television for the escapism of it. Yeah. That's what I show up for. I'm, I'm, I appreciate and will participate in delving into and exploring, you know, the human psyche and, uh -huh. and existential questions and what makes us tick and drama and historical, uh, bio, biopics and stuff. But I want to go, uh, sort of be taken away from the real world. I want I want magic to feel real. Um and I think for me that element of Star Wars the the tangibility of it. Mm -hmm. If we're talking design and special effects, everything looked real. Yeah. Everything was shot earnestly. 
Everything was designed, all of the stop motion, all of, you know, all the space fights, everything looked tangible. And that's still something I don't think that CGI has achieved. Yeah. Even even as amazing as Infinity War is, and I love that movie, and Thanos, the performance is incredible. There's still a gloss to me, right? There's still a, he, he can't reach out and really grab him. Yeah, agreed. Um, that that there's just a removal, and, and I still will go and watch Star Wars, and I'll be like, somehow, somehow I can let myself forget that there's a man wearing a mask or a woman wearing makeup faster than I can forget about the computers and the millions of, 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 you know, hours of work that went into painting and designing and and creating all the technical stuff. So that, that, that's sort of a technical thing of why it's, it, Star Wars is so important to me and, and such a treasured film and will forever be. Um, but then going back to the storytelling of it, of, of, and uh, of being of you of coming from anywhere of anyone can be a hero anyone yeah is capable of greatness that still gets like that still gets me choked up every time i watch it and luke's standing on the horizon wishing for uh, something bigger wishing for uh you know an adventure and watching those two sons set and john williams score like that's it's probably my favorite moment in cinema of all time i'm with you man uh it struck me today i I watched it again today for good lord i don't know how many times it's been now (laughs) yeah because i'm old enough to where i saw it when i was six years old in the theater with my (sighs) with my brother awesome and uh it really struck me today what a while it wasn't dumbed down it's really a movie that a six-year-old could get um yeah, and even as a kid, like I understood there was something so relatable about this. I didn't know what the hero's journey was at the time, but Luke could have been a kid in in school that wanted to go to the big city. Like it's just such a yes a relatable thing. Even as a little little kid, like I knew I really got what was going on. Like he just laid it out there right at the beginning. Uh, well, starting with a scroll, I guess. But um, yeah. Do you know the story of the scroll? No, tell me. Um uh so they didn't they did an early screening uh for um like George screened it for Spielberg and for Coppola mm-hmm. and and De Palma. <laughs> and cuz they were all like film school buddies and they were all, you know, all helping each other out. Which is just amazing to think about. Isn't that it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. And so they go out to dinner and everybody's going like, wow, impressive, such an accomplishment, so cool. And De Palma hates it. De Palma hates, hates it. The he movie? Goes, he hates He's like, what is happening? Where <laughs> where are we? In, there's a spaceship and who are is a robot? Why do I care about a robot? Wow. And the guy in the dark suit comes out and I'm scared of it. Why should I be scared? I don't know who he is. Where, where is this universe? And and through that conversation and through that debate he's like why not give me you know like do those if you're doing flash gordon if you're ripping off flash gordon do those opening crawls where you at least set the scene so i know where i am right and that's how that came to be which i thought was really really incredible (laughs) like such such a wonderful selfless historically influential constructive criticism yeah and the other thing it does too is uh 
I mean, it's become so iconic with that scroll, but it really like, I even had a sense again as a six-year-old that this was a story that was already in motion. Like there was so much energy at the beginning. It wasn't like, well, you know, let's set everything up. It was kind of like, here's what it is, everyone. And boom, let's go. Yes. Yeah. Kind of right out of the gate. it's it's so it can't it can't be um, underemphasized how important John Williams' score is. Oh, for sure. It's uh, it just is as as valuable, if not more, than any element of that movie. Yeah, any of it. The ILM work, the casting, the the design, the story, and like all of it. It doesn't work without that music, without that score, with the the, the le motif of 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 the Star Wars score. Yeah, and it's uh it, that's the thing too that sort of uh I mean e- even though I do think the effects hold up pretty well for a movie made in the 70s a score doesn't uh a score always a- a- ages well, you know. Ages well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the stuff that when you see this movie at 6 and then you see it again at 47 in a coffee shop this morning, I was I was literally <laughs> I was the 47-year-old in a corner watching Star Wars with my headphones. <laughs> As it was meant to be seen. <laughs> but it's that's <laughs> the stuff, like that score is, doesn't age, you know? That's the thing that yeah. still conjures up those emotions uh, and sort of like pulls on the heartstrings. And I'm in there, you know, getting a little misty-eyed yep. when the suns are setting. I know. All over know again. It, uh, always. Always. It, and and it's, just, it's just a movie where everything in my opinion, and I'm sure you could maybe argue some performance stuff, but but everything worked. The the quality yeah. and the scale and the execution of everything worked together so well. Even even Luke's whininess, yeah. even even Leia's uh, you know, a mutating accent. Uh-huh. Like it, it, it but it all still works in there. Like of course she's gonna be more diplomatic and proper with her enemy and then be like, all right, look, this is who I am. You know what I mean? Like right. when the cameras are off, this is, this is who I really am. The design, the concept of a laser sword, just, just that concept is so brilliant. And then the design execution of it, even with, even with the dated effects. And yeah, I, I, I just love it. I love it so much. It's so it's 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 in me even when I don't realize it's in me. The force is strong within you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny to see something like I thought the lightsaber was the coolest thing that I'd ever seen in my life. And as a kid, I wasn't like, well, that's just a sword uh, right. that makes a cool noise. Uh, and that's like, I don't know, that there's something about the movie when it transcended all these things. Uh <sighs> Like, yeah, maybe some of the acting isn't as great as it should be at times, but it's so forgivable because it was such a an absorbing adventure. Uh, yes. And you can't argue. It's inarguable, you know? Yes. And, yeah. and not just because of the money it's made, but uh, what it became. And, and I guess we can talk a little bit about the movie since. Um, even though the prequels were problematic in a lot of ways, it has had an indelible impact on how you watch these movies now. Yes. Like, I think it did enrich the story. When I see Vader now, today, this morning, I can't help but think of young Anakin and what brought him to that point, regardless of how how much I didn't love some of those prequels. It, it really did enrich the story, I think. Sure, yeah, of, of, of humanizing all sides of it, absolutely. 
Yeah, and I, I, you know, I was a fan of a lot of the the sort of novelizations and the and the Star Wars expanded universe. You know, um, the Timothy Zahn at a Thrawn trilogy, mm-hmm. and you know, I just I just loved all that sort of ancillary storytelling. So by the time we got to the prequels, there was just going to be disappointment anyway. <laughs> in the right. Way that, like you get locked into and you're like, well, no, Han and Leia get married and they have twins named Jason and Jaina. And then they have a third son named Anakin. Mm-hmm. And Luke opens up a Jedi Temple Academy on Yavin 4 and Exar Kun, the spirit <laughs> of the original Sith, comes and, and inhabits their son. That's how it is. And anything else is sacrilegious. Um, but I... Uh, you know, I for some reason, I like the prequels are not films that I feel need the need to return to. Yeah, but I don't have the sort of hostile hate. I, I like the worst I can muster up for them is dismissiveness. Right. But I can, but I still, uh, I'm always pulled back to the feeling, and and you were talking about it a little bit of being a six year old boy of being a little kid, of dreaming of something bigger, something greater, an epic adventure of life or death and and secret plans and rescued princesses yeah. and star space battle trench fights with lasers and torpedoes and, and, and it feeling so real and it instilling in me, you know, sort of calibrating the bar of what a great story can and should be. Right. And I do think that there's a generation that grew up watching those prequels that that did have a version of that experience watching those movies. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I mean, this this first film was just so strong in its simplicity. Um, yes. And I know it's been you know talked about a billion times, but the hero's journey, <laughs> the hero's journey is it's a thing because it's so real uh, for people, and it's such a simple thing to identify with. Of again, like this kid who sees a life, who dreams of life beyond his small town farm, and then where he ends up uh, in the end, it, there's nothing complicated about what happens in this story, and that's what makes it so uh, relatable. I think. Yes, I agree. I mean, it's a space movie, te- mm-hmm. technically, <laughs> but it's uh, and, well, if not if you're talking the science, the science is pretty. <laughs> You got to get you got to get one of those cryo crystals if you want to make those lightsabers work, you know what well, I mean? Yeah, that's true. But there's so many great emotionally strong moments uh like things that I may not even realize as a kid were impacting me or why why I wanted to cry when I saw Uncle Owen and Aunt Bruce charred skeletons there and like what a hardcore thing that is for a kid to see. Yes. Uh to the point where Han Solo comes back in the end and Oh. And you know, helps Luke save the day. It's just, it's just so perfectly plotted out. Leia putting the blanket on Luke. Yeah, another one of my favorites. Because that's one, that's one that ages better with knowing what comes after. You know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and the little playful back and it. forth between Han and Luke and Leia, and mm-hmm. uh, and again with the knowledge of the the whole complicated relationships that follow. And knowing yeah. that one day that Han and Leia are going to have children together, it's uh, and especially being an adult, it's it's kind of cool to see it through different eyes now. Yeah, Harrison Ford just really mastered the perfect tone 
of humor for that movie. Yeah. Right? Where he's not, he's not, not, you know, there's nothing broad about it, but he's definitely outside of it at all times, right? Yeah. Even just flicking, flicking the wall behind him with greed, like, I don't have it with me. Uh-huh. Like, you know, like, he knew, he knew to be dismissive of this weird creature alien thing, you know what I mean? To make it seem so, like, two adversaries kind of giving each other shit in, in you know, in a, in a pub. Right. Um, and and even you know where it, where I think it maybe gets the most broad is uh, when he's covering at the detention at the cell block. You know uh-huh. he's like a uh, 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 couple malfunctions, but but we're all fine here That's now. Such a great moment. How are though. you? <laughs> it's so good. It's so it's so it's so it's the thing that's most of our reality. Uh-huh. I think you know we're all the, the stumbly fine every uh, good now. How are you? <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's, it's the, you, you got to say something for something that made a six-year-old get it and laugh mm-hmm. along with their parents or older brothers and sisters, and then 40 years later, that adult still laughing at that part. Yes. He just brought, he brought so much personality into that role, Yeah, which the movie needed, I think, uh, because as much as Luke is relatable, none of the other characters really, like, he, Han Solo was such a necessary character in that film. Yes. Did you see the yes. solo movie? I did. What you th- I did. What'd you think? Um, you know, I, I I liked it as much as any of of the new ones. I you know, there there hasn't there still hasn't been I think I think JJ's for me captured the closest the essence of that first one and I know that that's the criticism from a lot of people but right. I don't mind that. I I I made a, a living doing parody for six years, and it's really hard to do well. Yeah, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, to, to emulate something and and to achieve it, and and I really think he did. And I loved Ryan's too. I loved Ryan's. I understand the debate on that. I think I think for the most part, what people have a, a problem with with Episode Eight is also why I love it, in that it made the it took these bold swings that. They were they were big swings uh, in, in an effort to try to explore something new or to, to find a new move, and I think you know at least fifty percent of them worked for me. So yeah. I really enjoyed that. Solo for me um, felt felt more akin to the prequels, just because I I um, I just really struggled with. Here's what I'll say: Rogue One, I I, I liked okay people loved it i liked it okay Mm -hmm. but i really had a hard time with the ending and seeing princess leia and seeing the tantine four fly away from the planet yeah because it messes with the original lore right right it messes with it it directly affects my relationship to the first movie in that how how is princess leia even pretending she's on a diplomatic mission if they just saw her spaceship fly away from the space battle where they stole the plans right like that, like you, you're kind of negating the original, and I feel like Han Solo, being his status, not his name, does the same thing to me a little bit. Yeah, but there's a lot of there are moments that I liked in it, but that that really I kind of it it, it took me out in a big way. Yeah, I just saw that for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and um, I'm kind of with you. I mean, I'm not big into 
taking it too seriously and yeah. and poo-pooing too much. Uh, sure. To me, it's like if if I go to the theater and I enjoy it and have a good time, then that's enough for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm not that deep into it, but I, I will say that I think that the solo movie was just kind of mediocre in the end. And it, yeah, it, the positive I think is that it seems like Disney is now thinking, "Hey, we can't just trot anything out there every nine months." Yeah, maybe yeah. we need to be a little more intentional about this stuff. Uh, totally, and not just print money. Um, but we'll see what happens. Which they did. <laughs> Which they did. They got a couple theme parks opening up, so I think. Yeah, I think they need a couple money printers out before. <laughs> uh, I do want to touch on that that wonderful third act of this movie, though, um, and 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 especially like the last ten minutes. It's just such a yeah such a triumph when. Uh, you know, it ends how, even as a kid, I think I knew what was going to happen. So it's not like, it still manages to be, uh, tense, I think. Yes. But it ends in the only way it could end. Uh, I think the big surprise for me as a kid was, was the reappearance of Han Solo, which is just a little stroke of genius. But, you know, yeah. that end is just so great, you know? It's so, it's, it is, it's, I, I don't know the screenwriting term where you're trying to tie up, you're trying to pay off every character in as close succession as possible. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, it, this film does that to me. It's the brilliance of, of, uh, bolstering and layering the concept of the force and the return uh-huh. of Obi-Wan. Right. The force will be with you. Yeah. Always. As he's flat, like just, ugh, chills. Chills. Use the force, Luke. That's when you're really, you know what I mean? Like, that's... I I love Han Solo showing up, and it's a really wonderful, yippy moment. Yeah. But Luke turning off his, his comm unit. Yep. Like, his radar, and, and that that's what gets me. And his breath, the breath he takes as he fires the torpedoes. <sighs> and the music. Again, the music. Yeah. It always comes back to the music. Yeah, everything just converges right there. Uh, because, you know, you get little hints about these past relationships with Vader and Obi-Wan. And as a kid, you certainly don't know why Obi-Wan, that was the most confusing thing to me when I was young, was why he sacrificed himself. Yes. But I knew that it was important. Yes. And uh, it was, I think it's cool that Lucas sort of didn't treat it with kid gloves. He was like, you know, I think it was largely a movie for for kids. And he, he threw some kind of heavy shit in there that he thought kids could handle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, the idea of, and it really hasn't been fully defined yet, but the idea that a Jedi Master, at the end of his mortal journey, yeah. needs to make the conscious decision to become one, that a Jedi Master, uh, you know, struck down in vanity or hostility or anger or whatever, that, you know cannot become one with the force that yes it looks like obi-wan is struck down but he's making the conscious choice that yoda in his final moments is turning over and using the last of his energy to make a conscious choice to give of himself you know uh, over give himself over to the force yeah and that ryan brought that in and kind of because that's always a thought i've i've had like they're burning qui-gon's body at the end of episode one when do you become part of the force? What does that mean? What are the limitations of this power? Right. And that only a true master who has achieved true balance and is truly in tune with the force 
has to make a conscious decision to give over. And and Ryan brought that back, I thought, yeah. with, with with Luke's goodbye. And I just, I really, really appreciated that. We need to get you on one of these movies, man. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> You're freaking telling me. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Uh, all right. Well, we have only got a few more minutes left, so we'll, okay. we'll we'll finish with a couple of uh, quick segments. One called "What Ebert Said." This movie is a complete disappointment. Okay, great. And this is where I go back and look at uh, what the great film critic Roger Ebert had to say about these uh, movies. He gave it four stars. Was a big, big fan, and uh, had this quote: "The movie relies on the strength of pure narrative in the most basic storytelling form known to man: the journey." All of the best tales we remember from our childhoods had to do with heroes setting out to travel down roads filled with danger and hoping to find treasure or heroism at the journey's end. In Star Wars, George Lucas takes this simple and powerful framework into outer space, and that is an inspired thing to do because we no longer have maps on Earth that warn, here there be dragons. We can't fall off the edge of the map as Columbus could, and we can't hope to find new continents of prehistoric monsters or lost tribes ruled by immortal goddesses. Wow. How about that? (laughs) He he was pretty good, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's easy. It's hard to remember a time where sci-fi wasn't like the biggest thing out there. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, to go back to the late 70s where this was truly uh, a watershed moment for film. 
Yeah. Yeah. And a but risk, he really, which he is nailed it. funny to think about now. <laughs> I know. A big, a big know. risk. Yeah. A gazillion dollar risk. <laughs> uh, and then finally, five questions with Taryn Killam. Okay. Uh, what, what's the first movie you remember seeing in a theater? Ooh. Um, I'll say Batman. Tim Burton's Batman. Okay. It's not true. Because I, well, well, so that's the first one I remember because that's also the movie where I was like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to be in movies and I'm going to make Batman seem real. Um, but I do remember that they re-released Pinocchio because it was sort of like a classic family story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when, and so we saw Pinocchio when I was like two or three in the theaters and, um, my parents like to say that when Pinocchio comes to life and he falls into the paint cans and wakes Geppetto up, yeah. that in a pretty crowded theater, I yelled, Pinocchio fell down! <laughs> and it got a huge laugh. Your first performance. And that was my first big laugh, yeah. Oh, I love it. That's great. Uh, first R-rated movie that you saw, theater or home? Ooh, um, first, first R-rated movie. Uh, first R-rated movie uh, in the theater definitely was Terminator 2. Okay. That's good. Would that That's have a been a one. big deal in your family or did Ugh. did your parents care? No. We went with I went with my friend Ben Harris and his friend and his dad, Dave Harris, took us. So everybody knew knew the score. Um but it was awesome. <laughs> everybody knew the score. I love it. Uh will you walk out of a bad movie? It has happened, yes. Do you want to talk about one or uh you don't have yes, you don't have sure, to. Sure. <laughs> sure. No. Um the I, it's my first time doing it, and I've only done it maybe two or three times since. But the first time, there was no one more excited for this movie than me. I was. I watched every clip. I downloaded the Metallica theme song for it, <laughs> and I could not wait to see Mission Impossible Two. Yeah, and I I just couldn't take it. At a certain point, I couldn't take it. Yeah. It just, uh, and you know what, it, it was so long ago that I don't even really remember what made me mad about it. <laughs> I don't, I just remember thinking, none of this makes sense. It, I can't even enjoy how dumb these stunts are. Yeah. Because they just physically don't make sense. And you're, and I'm so angry. And, and there is no story. Now, which, was that the John Woo? It's the John Woo one. I was so excited. I was too. I was so excited because you know what? The best thing to come out of that was at the MTV Movie Awards that year. Ben Stiller did that sketch where he was Tom Cruise's stunt double. Oh, right. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> and they're talking about, and it's John Woo and it's Tom Cruise, and they're going over like the motorcycle stunt. And and John's like, they'll come together, we'll drive them. And then, he, and then Ben goes, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got a great idea. How about Tom jumps off the motorcycle, we freeze frame. And he looks at Cameron and says, I think this mission just got a whole lot more impossible. <laughs> it's pretty bad. And John Woo, but the funniest thing, John Woo goes, get out. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty bad when the best thing about a movie was the Ben Stiller yeah. parody. It's just because I wanted to love it. That Metallica video where he's rock climbing. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, and I went on down that road. My wife actually worked on that, just that climbing uh, sequence. No way. Yeah, she was, That's uh, awesome. I think, a production manager at the time and just did that one little mini shoot. And she just cool. told stories about waiting for, for 
hours and hours and hours and hours for Tom Cruise to oh, exit geez. his trailer. Uh, oh, geez. <laughs> number four, I tailor to the guests. So since you're a song and dance man, what's your favorite musical? Les Mis. Straight up. Yes, sir. What'd you think of the movie, the recent one? Um, I thought it was an interesting experiment. Um, Tom, what's his last name? The director. The director. Uh, yes. I can't remember. Okay. It's Tom. It's not Tom Stoppard, <laughs> but it's something like Tom Hopper. Tom Hopper. Yes. Not Tom Holland, Tom Hopper. Right. Um, it is such an emotional show. It is such a dramatic show. And he he's done this with many of his films. He likes to play it so tight and so in the close-up. Oh, yeah. Kind of handheld and loose and everything's close. And I think for Anne Hathaway's song, I Dreamed a Dream, oh, boy. the experiment, well, to me, the experiment worked. Yeah, agreed. In that moment. The rest of the movie, it did not. And you also have two male leads who are not classically trained singers. Yeah. Um, and that's tough to listen to. Uh, yeah, Russell but, Crowe was, that was tough. Yeah, I'll I'll say it. I mean, I love him and I'm a fan, yeah. but Hugh was really hard for me to listen to. Yeah. That sort of tasty thing he does. <laughs> you know, it's just this forced vibrato is 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 uh, just it takes me out of it. And but I just think I love I love what Rob Marshall does with with musical films. Yeah, me too. Because he really captures that old sort of Gene Kelly cinematic Technicolor grand. It's a grand event, right? It's larger than life. It's outside of reality. And I think if you try to go against that. It, 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 it just, it hasn't worked, uh, overall in, from what I've seen thus far. Have you been in Les Mis? Never have. Wanted to be Gavroche when I was little, uh -huh. then wanted to be Marius for many years. Now I want to be Javert. Oh yeah. And I'll get to Valjean eventually. <laughs> uh, all right. And finally, movie going 101. What is your movie going ritual? Uh, where do you like to sit and what do you eat? Great. I love to go to like a first, second showing in the day. I love to go by myself. I um, will get a small popcorn and then either uh, sprinkle it with milk duds mm -hmm. or peanut M&Ms. Classic. And I like sitting closer to the screen than farther away. So if it's a packed house, I'm not going to sit on the side in the back. I'm going to sit right up front. But I think ideally, you're looking at, you know, depending on how big the theater is, if we're talking like a multiplex big screen theater, yeah. you want to be row seven or eight right in the middle. Okay. Good stuff. Thank you. I like sitting, I like sitting in the seats, ideally beside the handicap seats that'll have the like foot bar. Oh, sure. Then put your, your feet up there and on the foot rest there. I love that. That's great. Well, all right, it's man. Great. Thank a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, thanks a lot, and uh, good luck with everything. I'll, I'll make sure I give Thank everything so uh, good good plugs and links and all that. That's so kind of you. And, uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, if I ever see you face to face, I'll uh, I'll tap you on the shoulder. Please do. All right. Take care. Thanks, Darren. Bye. Thank you. All right, everybody. That was a lot of fun. I hope we did it justice. I mean, I feel like you could, and I'm sure there are podcasts where all they do is talk about Star Wars over and over with many, many different people. But uh, we we gave it our best shot there. 
And uh, I hope we were able to have a, a pretty intelligent conversation about one of the all-time classic stories of the hero's journey of one young Luke Skywalker. Uh, I certainly enjoyed it, and it was fun watching that movie again. Uh, I believe I watched it when the uh, when the new movie started coming out a few years ago. I think I went back and watched it again, but it's been a few years since then. And sadly, uh, I didn't even talk to Taryn about this, but the only way you can watch this movie now is to buy it uh, and watch the George Lucas re-release, which uh, I wasn't a big fan of, the changes that he made. We didn't get to talk about that, but I was not a big fan of those changes. And sadly, unless you have, I guess, the old VHS copy, you can not watch the original version. So uh, Lucas has got that one on, on lockdown. But I did enjoy watching it again, and I certainly had a good time talking to Mr. Taron Killam. Uh, support his new efforts coming out, Night School, in theaters September 28th, and uh, his new comedy, Single Parents, on ABC, starting September 26th. You can follow him on Twitter, at Taron Killam, T-A-R-A-N-K-I-L-L-A-M. And uh, it's good to know things are going great with him. I was such a big fan from the SNL days and, and his work since. He's a really, really multi-talented dude. So I uh, look forward to seeing what he does uh, as he as he matures in his career. So uh, thanks a lot for listening. And everybody, until then, use the Force always. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.